With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Warning, this show is obscene, even compared to the Bible. Today's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Las Vegas' new traveling absolution service, Taxi Cab Confessionals. Are you a Catholic feeling guilty between sessions of drinking, gambling, hookers, and blow? Then hop in with one of our priests and you can re-up on forgiveness between the semi-legal whorehouse and the next casino. Taxi Cab Confessionals. For the latest in Catholic mass transit, just hail yourself some Mary. And now, The Scathing Atheist. This is Chris Watson from the Unbuckling the Bible Belt blog, and we did, in fact, evolve from filthy monkey men. September 18th. And Roger Goodell just suspended the entire NFL until the next episode of SportsCenter. <laughs> I have no illusions. I'm Heath Enright. And from the birthplace of toilet paper, New York, New York. And the birthplace of the term brother daddy, Podunk, Georgia, <laughs> this is the Scathing Atheist. In this week's episode, we were getting using Andy Wilson's favorite mojito recipe. Gordon Klingenschmidt, Brian Fisher, and Rick Santorum will say words again. And author Steve Wells will discuss the gross lack of margin space for skeptics with Bibles. But first, the diatribe. So what's a religion got to do before we can just say... Yeah, that one's evil. You know, how many people have to be inspired to behead strangers or crucify innocent people? You know, how many people have to throw acid in the faces of their sisters in the name of this faith or condemn education and codify misogyny, brutalize free thinkers or burn down schools while the children are still in them? How many atrocities need a religion inspire before we can just agree that that one's evil? Now, we haven't talked a lot about ISIS on this show because, to be perfectly honest, I don't want to add my voice to yet another march to war in a misguided effort to protect our shitty energy policy. And make no mistake, the movement of ISIS from the 32nd biggest oil-producing nation into the 7th biggest is the primary driver of our sudden federal outpouring of violent humanitarianism. That being said, I don't think anybody can look at these despicable fuckers and not say that they're evil. And to every bit the same extent, I don't think anybody can look at these despicable fuckers and say they're not Islamic. Sure didn't stop Obama from doing it, though, did it? Didn't stop a lot of people from doing it. They act like Linda Richmond on Coffee Talk looking for a topic when she's verklempt. The Islamic State in Syria isn't Islamic a state or only in Syria. Discuss. But they are, first and foremost, Islamic. That's why they put it in a fucking name. And as much as the more moderate imams would love to convince us that they're just perverting the faith to gain support, that really doesn't matter. That doesn't stop them from being Islamic. That's the problem that we atheists have been pointing out all along. When you create a god, anybody who wants can pick him up for whatever nefarious purpose strikes their fancy. And as it happens, the Muslims have created one of the easiest gods ever to use for nefarious purposes. That's an empirical fucking fact. That's the whole point of the faith, in fact. You know, Jesus wasn't a warrior. Moses kind of was, but he sent Joshua to do all the heavy lifting. Muhammad was a murderous, imperial warlord hell-bent on world domination. That is the core of the goddamn religion. 
So the moderate imams say ISIS is perverting the faith. ISIS say the moderate imams are perverting the faith. And until Allah comes down from on high, there's no qualified arbitrator in this debate. And yet the world's leaders are all lining up in the Muhammad is just all right with me camp. You know, I guess I understand it from a strategic perspective. David Cameron comes out and says, well, the problem is that those Muslims have a fucked up evil religion. It's going to make it a little easier for them to recruit those British Muslims. You know, if Obama comes out and says, first and foremost, Islam is a faith based on murdering the people they disagree with, probably not going to help him gain any Saudi support here. But you don't have to say the exact opposite. You know, I, I'll, I'll agree as well that there's kind of a social concern here because I know me some Americans. You know, they want them a holy war. There's a substantial portion of our populace that reacts to a terrorist beheading a journalist by throwing a brick through the window of some Hindu guy's store. So I don't want to fan the flames of racism either. But how many extremists does a religion have to have before you can't call their position the extreme anymore? You know, in defense of the Islamic faith, you won't hear me say that very much, I firmly believe that every religion can be corrupted and turned into an engine of violence. If it can happen to the Buddhists, it can happen to anybody. That being said, at a certain point, you have to look beyond what could happen and talk about what actually is happening. What actually is happening over and over again all over the fucking world. There are about 50 countries in the world with majority Muslim populations, and there's not a damn one you could talk me into moving forward for less than 250 grand a year. And no, I am not saying that the only reason ISIS exists is because their religion is evil. You know, the primary driver of anti-American sentiment in the Middle East isn't a religious one. It's a reaction to our concerted effort to siphon all the oil out of that region quick while they're still killing each other. I will freely admit that. I will freely admit that suicide bombing is, you know, almost always coincide with occupation. I'll admit that America's drone policy is probably at least as effective a tool in recruitment for these guys as the Quran. I will admit that if you swapped out the religions and made the Muslims Jews and the Jews Muslims, it probably wouldn't change a fucking thing about the geopolitics. Because like I said, all religions can be used as an engine of violence, but at the moment one engine is revved a hell of a lot higher than the other ones. And even if you set aside the suicide bombings and the politically motivated attacks and just look at some of the horrors done in the name of Allah and the relatively stable Muslim countries, you can still find plenty of vicious, destructive, and utterly inhuman shit. So yes, by all means, politicians keep kissing whatever Muslim ass you have to to keep your population from running over to join in all the decapitating fun, and while you're at it, you know, try to keep some perspective on this and don't say dumb shit about following people to the gates of hell. And by all means, brick-wielding xenophobes. Try to keep in mind that the Muslims that are selling you Slurpees tend not to be the ones that crucify people. But at a certain point, you can't have an honest discussion if you're not willing to be honest. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight is the Bermuda Triangle of Moral Compasses, Heath Enright. Heath, are you ready to demonstrate why we're not on broadcast radio? Uh, because Clear Channel runs a censorship-driven, effective monopoly on broadcast radio, and fuck them. Well, is, was, is that why? I was expecting a rape joke, but that probably has something to do with it, too. Yeah. <laughs> In our lead story tonight, from the person of Pinterest file people of Pennsylvania are building a criminal case against a 14-year-old Everett area boy after his hilarious picture of himself getting an over-the-pants blowjob from a Jesus statue was discovered on Facebook. It was great, he, too. It was great. The kid may or may not have been aware he was on the front lawn of a Christian organization called Love in the Name of Christ, but regardless, his sense of artistic juxtaposition is undeniable, and he'll be facing up to two years in juvenile jail for it. Ow. Look, that's happening. Don't get me wrong. It's a step in the right direction to see a new story about Christians figuratively fucking underage children for a change. But this story pisses me off to no end. I saw a lot of people in the blogosphere out there defending him with this, you know, kids will be kids kind of attitude. But look, 
I'm 38 years old. If I saw that statue, I would do this today, <laughs> even after reading this story. Priceless. Now, prosecutors charged this precocious photographer with something called desecration of a venerated object, which is defined in Pennsylvania as, quote, defacing, damaging, polluting, or otherwise physically mistreating in a way that the actor knows will outrage the sensibilities of persons likely to observe or discover the action, end quote. Oh, so it's all right for Jesus to come on the children, but not the other way around. Oh, I see how it is. Yeah. Now, responding to Pennsylvania being about as good at doling out reasonable punishments as the NFL, Patheos.com writer J.T. Eberhard explained the situation perfectly. Basic paraphrased version, if an adult who should be getting harsher penalties than a kid, say, spray-painted Jesus Swallows on the side of a school, even with prior crimes on his record, the adult would get at most a year in jail. And the penalty would be even less if the cost of repairing the vandalism was less than $150. The kid, on the other hand, has no prior record, caused a grand total of $0 in damage, and faces two years. And Jesus. paraphrase. And let's not forget, though, that the kid didn't put this picture on a billboard or anything. The only people right. likely to, quote, in the law, observe or discover the action, end quote, Facebook friends who chose to view his page and pictures. So right. essentially, what is the state trying to do? They're trying to claim he's guilty of not assuming that his Facebook viewership also includes uh, really creepy members of the church and law enforcement who stalk the social media pages of local teens looking for something to get criminally offended about. Is that right? You know, I'm a slacker on most shit, but I will fight to the death to protect the rights of a 14-year-old to faux mouth fuck a statue of Jesus. That's the kind of thing I'm willing to shed some blood for. Basic freedoms. Yeah, it affects all of us. And in Ben That Clover Over news tonight, William Donahue, who came into existence when Wilford Brimley shaved his mustache and faked his death, has announced that the Catholic League of Religious and Non-Gay Civil Rights will not be participating in New York's St. Patrick's Day Parade next year because it would put them in danger of marching in the same parade as homos. And what's worse, they might be marching right in front of them, and you know they would be checking out their heterosexual butts the whole time. Yeah, you wouldn't want to look gay while you march in kilts while blowing an enormous bag of pipes making weird squealing noises. That would, <laughs> what a disaster that would be for the Irish. Look like idiots. Now, in his statement to the press last Tuesday, Donahue said he felt betrayed by the parade organizers when they reneged on a deal to allow an anti-abortion group to march in the parade as well, because nothing says Ireland like the inhuman treatment of women seeking abortions. But apparently he thought that the parade organizers were going to go out and find an anti-abortion group to counterbalance the gays, because like, according to the parade organizers, they didn't receive any applications or even phone calls from anti-abortion groups before the cutoff to join the parade, but that hasn't stopped Donahue from threatening to take his balls and go home. Well, shouldn't the interests of these two groups be aligned? I mean, gay couples tend not to have abortions very often. You and think. they're all about adoption. A lot of common ground there. Gays, abortions, Unusual. contraception. You can't yes. oppose all three of these things. Anyway, <laughs> exactly. while I'm sure psychologists are in short supply as Manhattanites cope with the news that this year's St. Paddy's Day Parade will include one fewer group of stodgy geriatric bigots, I think it's worth noting that the parade is officially about Irish heritage, not Irish Catholicism. According to an article on Religious News Services, it's kind of like forcibly butt-fucking children. Quote, it's not a Catholic-sanctioned event, but it's closely identified with Catholicism. End quote. <laughs> like bigotry in the Tea Party. Wonderful. Yeah. And in must-be-exhausting news, atheists managed to eke out a tie with God's team in a recent morality contest by doing absolutely nothing. 
Researchers at the University of Illinois polled Americans and Canadians of different political and religious backgrounds and found that acts of morality are equally common among atheists and theists. This may sound shocking, but studying God's book of ethics every week was unable to accomplish anything at all. Right. And I sure hope for religion's sake that promoting morality wasn't the last remaining shred of an argument for blind faith that they're still working with. No, no, they they still have why are there still monkeys, so they're good. We all said that. There, there certainly are potential flaws to the study. I'll admit. I mean, it could be argued that certain respondents might be more likely to lie, especially when self-reporting immoral acts versus moral acts. But even right. if atheists lie more than religious people, which studies show they do not, so never mind. That was a false premise and cannot be argued. However, on the other side of the coin, if you switch out uh, Canada for Iran, maybe, but continue defining morality the same way, the results are probably going to look. Even better for atheists. So. Well, sure, but I mean, in God's defense, the Iranians are using the wrong religion, so I don't think you can count that against them. No, that's... And to me, though, the larger issue, it's not addressed in the study, it's that nothing could change in the world that would make atheists all of a sudden decide to start, say, killing puppies. But if all of a sudden every Bible magically had the phrase, and kill all puppies, added to the end of Revelations, millions of Christians would instantly become unquestionably evil. Pretty good morality is nearly universal in humans unless something tricks them into faithfully acting otherwise. That's right. Exactly. Lose that. And from the you were bending over anyway file, Colorado State House hopeful and henchman in search of a dark overlord, Gordon Klingenschmidt warned his supporters that it's only a matter of time before Democrats outlaw Christianity and force the faithful to worship butt sex. Shit. How do they keep finding out about our plans? Right. This guy's (laughs) got to be getting... Some sort of anal leakage from the inside. A mole. Hamster among us. <laughs> Deep scrote. He's talking to somebody. Yeah, we would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for that meddling Schmidt. Now, citing a New York case in which a wedding business was fined for discriminating against a gay couple, Klingham Schmidt sent out a letter that claimed that the courts had actually ruled that business owners, quote, cannot worship Christ during a wedding unless they also worship and participate equally in sodomy in their own home, end quote. So what he's claiming here is that some New York farmers were court-ordered to buttfuck and then to worship buttfucking later. Which they apparently chose to do. Instead of baking a cake for money, yeah, right. which was their job, <laughs> that was, they opted for the. Also, how does a couple, a heterosexual couple, participate equally in sodomy? What are the <laughs> rules on that? Are they talk? Do you have to switch it? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd Google it, but I don't, I don't have time to masturbate. Now, it's worth noting that this particular slice of insanity comes in response to the Employment Non-Discrimination Act, or ENDA, which, if passed, will finally prohibit employment discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. God damn it, is it about time. And I guess if you're batshit crazy enough, it's only a small step between that and pulling down the crosses and erecting giant dildos in their place. <laughs> we're, we're getting there. TikTok. And in Have Justice in the Faith System news, the U.S. Justice Department decided to waste even more tax money than the annual uh, about $70 billion already being lost to illegal, legalized church tax evasion by making federal judges hear another case full of arguments about whether a tax break only for clergy 
called the parsonage exemption is an example of an exemption just for parsons. They're still checking right. on this. That's one. what they're arguing. Yeah. So hopefully the appeal judge will quickly Google what a equals and realize that yes, <laughs> right. indeed. Justice Crabb's decision on this from last November was clearly correct in declaring the exemption manifestly unconstitutional. I, I Why? Mean, this pisses me off so much. It's $70 billion. You know, with that kind of money, we could confiscate all their guns and force them to worship Sodom. I, I, I mean, we could enact <laughs> Protocol 46 with that kind of Almost. No, almost. according to, uh, to, to Justice Department Attorney Judith Hagley, a taxpayer, in this case the FFRF, cannot attempt to litigate the tax liability of another taxpayer, in this case, shitloads of clergy dodging their fair share of taxes. So what? you can't tell on, I don't know why, but you just can't, no telling. So since the taxation issue in question doesn't apply to the atheist plaintiffs, they shouldn't have even been allowed to bring the original suit in the first place. So, so dismiss it. If, if everybody pays taxes, then no one can sue anyone. I mean, shouldn't ever having paid a tax get you standing in this case? Shouldn't we all exactly. be allowed to sue on this one? No, we're playing with telling. That, that would be way too reasonable to have telling. Right. Instead, the Justice Department is arguing that the FFRF would have had to frivolously claim the bullshit exemption and then get denied in order to take this to court. That was the other... But they also argued that the FFRF would not have been denied the tax break because the law allows for atheist ministers, too. So we were going to give you the th – basically, they're handing Serpico half the lot of drug money they just right. stole from the stash house, like idiots. Yeah. And from the you-keep-using-that-word file, professional failure and fish-in-a-barrel Rick Santorum took time off of sneering awkwardly into a camera and losing his hair to join Brian Fisher on his program, <laughs> Right Wing Watch Goldmine with Brian Fisher. Now, as you can imagine, when the Zan and Jaina of blithering xenophobic discourse join forces, they're bound to exude a few covered nuggets of wisdom. Activate! Form of uh, Bigotron! Giant and Ice Bigotron! <laughs> Santorum's new idea, piggybacking on his brilliant concept of getting rich through the first Tabernacle Baptist movie night in Mayflower, Arkansas, is to cure America's secularism problem with a quick bit of new speak. Yep. When asked about the heinous efforts of atheists to cancel the speaking in tongues portion of public school curriculum, Santorum suggested that we simply call secularism a religion because, quote, if we did, then we could ban that from schools, too. End quote. <laughs> yeah, and if we call secularism a type of unstable uranium, we could probably ban <laughs> it from schools, right. too. I mean, it's fascinating <laughs> stuff there, Santorum. Idiot. And look, we're changing stuff. Why not have God make uh, two plus two equal five? Just for a few minutes. Just right. make sure there's no more skepticism out there. Just <laughs> settle it. Settle it. Why not settle it? Now, clearly Fisher was behind Santorum's if we call Frosted Flakes Corn Flakes, they'd have fewer calories logic here. So with him dutifully bobbleheading in agreement, frothy mix of lube and fecal matter went on to say, quote, this should be an open marketplace of ideas instead of a throttling of one particular perspective under the name of not being offensive to some people, end quote. Uh, first of all, that's how lots of legalized racism was throttled in this country, too. Uh, right. But uh, I'm pretty sure it's the demonstrably false thing that's keeping Genesis out of public school science classes, not the offensive to possible Muslim students. It's not, right. obviously, what we're talking Also, perhaps Centaurum's unfamiliar with Venn diagrams. We talk about these a lot. They're important. Uh, when you ban all things religious and non-religious from schools... <laughs> right. uh, 
schools don't exist anymore. That's well, what you just did. That bodes well for Jesus, that wasn't though. Obvious to you already. <laughs> and in Grace News, or Godly Response to Abuse in Casino Elevators News, Christian radio host, that's right, I'm talking about this. Christian radio host and foot mouth fetishist Brian Fisher declared on his show last week that Janae Rice's attack at the hands of then fiance Ray Rice in Atlantic City was her own fault. Why? Because she committed the sin of premarital cohabitation. Wow. Apparently, any idiot can conclude from studying the social science research out there that living with a partner before marriage is dangerous for women, and uh, so is going into elevators. So do your homework, ladies, before you start immediately blaming your attacker when you're the victim of violence, as if it's their fault. <laughs> And you right. shouldn't have been yeah, studying up on these like statistics. Nobody's telling Ray Rice's fantasy owner's side of this story. I mean, there are multiple <laughs> victims here, let's just say. And on, Talk uh, about Jacquez already. I want to know how many. Come on. And, and on an only slightly related note, by the way, I want to point out that Cecil from Cognitive Dissonance drafted both Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson this year. So <laughs> I, just judging by the company that that dude keeps, I just want to say to his co-host Tom, Tom, if you're listening and you need a safe place, call me. No one will ever know. It's between you and me. Just putting it out there. No. <laughs> it was per perhaps suggested by someone that defining uh, single women in elevators as an attractive nuisance probably wasn't a good enough reason to blame Janae for being unmarried at the time of her attack. Fisher responded, quote, If you want to have reasons not to do it, getting knocked out in a casino elevator. That's the only reason you need. What? Biblical standards of morality are ignored. People get hurt. End quote. That's what? real. So knocking a woman out with a left cross is an example of Ray Rice taking part in a constitutionally protected free exercise. That's well, what was well, not only that, but, that but he's also clearly the agent of divine retribution. God was beating yeah. her through Ray. That's what this asshole is saying. Indeed, no exaggeration, that is exactly what he's saying. So, I mean, we make jokes about terrible things sometimes, and we're just about to spend probably another half minute making more jokes about this. But in all seriousness, just for a second, it is an absolute tragedy that any men exist who are capable of violence against women like this. So, there's a fuck you to perpetrators of domestic violence everywhere. Let's put 30 seconds on the clock for spite against those assholes. Ideas for reality shows exposing abusive celebrity relationships. Go. Well, you, you, the way you set it up, now this won't be offensive. So well done. No, sir. Well no, done. We're looking for shows about people who react with juvenile violence when their meals are undercooked that don't start Gordon Ramsay. Got it. <laughs> yeah, um, idea. How about Here Comes Honey's Mysterious Boo-Boo? Wow. Just starting off the with gate. the ball down the stairs. Joe. No, it's wow. not offensive now because this is, is a fuck you to these people. Right. Oh, spite. yeah. Yeah. No. So. We're good, good. good point. It's not offensive. He said it wasn't. Um, all right. So, uh, what about uh, Well, no, that doesn't work. I I'm guessing. I'm guessing the NFL won't be presenting a season of Hard Knocks with the Baltimore Ravens anytime oh, soon. That's a bad idea. Uh, or, or the Whitney Houston Texans, right? Right. right or the, or the <laughs> Cleveland Bobby Browns. <laughs> no, no. All right. So, what about a spinoff to the Hard Knocks um, series? How about a uh, tailback talk with Janae Rice getting sassy? <laughs> Uh, the, maybe the Real Housewives of Chattanooga. And by the way, Chattanoogans, I could have picked any city. I picked you. <laughs> um, what about Mike Tyson presents the biggest bruiser? <laughs> maybe a... Black Eye for the Queer Guy? 
Because because I don't I don't want to di- discriminate against same sex abusive relationships. I want to be inclusive to everybody and make horrible jokes about all of them equally. Yeah, that's way more enlightened and inclusive now. Um, all yeah. right, how about um, Juice and Orange, the OJ and Nicole story? Oh. What's Glove got to do with it? <laughs> oh, which reminds me, how about Body Shot at Love with Tina Turner? Since, since you kind of <laughs> well, brought her up. Segway, nice job. Um, <laughs> about Amy Fisher's deadliest snatch? Nice. I, May have been this show's first Amy Fisher joke. Procedural um, about that. How about Extreme Makeover Dislocated Jaw Edition? I'm <laughs> sorry that I said that. No one nearest that. And, and I should have edited, edited it out. It out. Right? Oh, <laughs> I know what you were going to say instead of it's, it's much worse. <laughs> all right, all right, we're gonna we're gonna leave everybody curious about that one. Um, right, I got one more. Um, uh, America's Next Top Moil with Lorena Bobbitt. Oh. <laughs> Get some shitty B-list celebrities back on TV. That's yeah. These type of shows are for. And in Here's Your Crock-A-Duck, Now Shut the Fuck Up News, former celebrity Kurt Cameron is now even wronger <laughs> thanks to German paleontologist Ernst Stromer. Among the many notably wow. stupid things that Cameron has mouth shat in hopes of bolstering the credentials of his faith is the notorious reference to crocodiles on Bill O'Reilly's show back in 2007. <laughs> in the interview, Cameron perfectly personified the I purposely don't understand evolution, therefore it isn't true worldview, when he explained that evolution couldn't be true because there are no transitional fossils. Where, yes, after all, are. are the half-crocodile, half-duck that even a childlike <laughs> understanding of evolution wouldn't predict exist? <laughs> does does he think that, that every species in existence was at some point fucking each of the other species ever in existence like like they were on a really creepy boat together for way too long yeah, probably what do you think and, and one of them fully understood how to keep track of all the statistical permutations is it, really get <laughs> a little little chart little clipboard all right rotate uh, of course since then the crocoduck image has become a visual reminder of the baffling stupidity of anti-evolution arguments and has become something of an icon in the new atheist movement but it turns out that it's even dumber than we thought as there actually is a transitional fossil that is half crocodile half duck <laughs> so finally we can carry on with science now that we've found all the different fossils kirk cameron right. think of <laughs> right the hiatus is over now, the Checkmate. fossil in question is one Spinosaurus, a semi-aquatic dinosaur that shared a number of characteristics with both crocodiles and ducks, though there were no signs of a genetic relation to hamsters or meerkats, so it's apparently <laughs> only related to the animals that Kurt Cameron figuratively pulls out of his ass. Now, of course, I should note that this was a dinosaur, not a duck with an alligator head like you'd expect if you were a fucking idiot. Hey. And <laughs> now, there are still a few more headlines to come, but first we'll hand things over to my lovely wife, Lucinda. How are you guys picturing it? Come on. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she wants. If it's a legitimate race. It's a slut, right? It, cooking can be fun. Hey! I'm proud of a man. This week in Misogyny. Now, some people have complained that this segment always focuses on the bad stuff. It's always about the rape and the forced marriages and the chauvinistic tirades about penis homes. So tonight, I decided we'd step away from that a bit and highlight some of the people who are out there protecting women. We'll start in Missouri, where State Representative Paul Weiland and his wife Teresa will stop at nothing to protect their two full-grown adult daughters from free access to birth control. Yes, you heard me right. They've got their matching panties in a twist because their daughters don't have to pay for birth control. 
Of course, we all know who the villain in this story is. Clearly, Obama inserted his no-cost birth control provision into the Affordable Care Act because he's secretly trying to fuck Paul Weiland's daughters. Well, not so fast President fucks a lot. Representative Weiland is jumping on the Sue Obama over ridiculous shit bandwagon. Citing the Hobby Lobby case as precedent, they argue that if an employer can confiscate an employee's vagina, surely a parent should be able to do the same. Next, we'll move to Arizona, where the vice chair of the state's Republican Party has become the latest martyr to the feminist cause. He's resigning his position in disgrace after trying to help poor women avoid costly diapers and abortions by suggesting that they be forcibly sterilized by the state. Russell Pierce made the controversial comments on his weekly talk radio program, saying, quote, You put me in charge of Medicaid, the first thing I'd do is get Norplant, birth control implants, or tubal ligations, end quote. As if he hadn't already aptly demonstrated why he's not in charge of Medicaid, he went on to say, quote, Well, test recipients for drugs and alcohol, and if you want to reproduce or use drugs or alcohol, then get a job, end quote, and career. He also said that people on Medicaid should be subject to random home invasions, but just in case you're still holding out hope for Pierce's mental ability to get it, after statewide outrage forced him into resignation, he issued the following apology. Quote, I shared some comments written by someone else and failed to attribute them to the author. This was a mistake. End quote. So yeah, apparently he thought the problem was that his fascism was plagiarized. And finally tonight, an update on our friend Rush Limbaugh, who has apparently just given up and started reading his misogyny cliché flashcards on air. He was complaining about Ohio State University's new definition of sexual consent on his program on Monday when he explained that the requirement for consent, quote, takes all the romance out of everything, adding that, quote, sometimes no means yes if you know how to spot it, end quote. Yeah, I know, America's most notorious sexist said something notoriously sexist, and the media is running wild with it. But I think they may have missed a window into how Russia's brain really works. After all, if he thinks words mean the exact opposite of their definition, suddenly his entire career makes sense to me. So in the chance that I'm the first to crack the opposite code of Limbaugh speak, let me just say... Rush, please don't sit on a barbed, electrified dildo covered in shredded glass and tuberculosis, and then abstain off and live. Back to you, Noah. Thank you, Lucinda. And continuing with headlines tonight, we have a follow-up to last week's story about the AHA's effort to protest our discriminatory Pledge of Allegiance, in which a teacher takes the Are You More Constitutionally Literate Than a First Grader Challenge and loses. <laughs> That's right. A recent kindergarten graduate in North Dakota was lifted out of his seat when he elected to remain seated during the Pledge of Allegiance. After the parents complained, the school apparently decided to meet them halfway on the whole respecting the constitutionally protected rights of their child thing and now simply make him stand outside during the pledge so that everyone knows that he hates Jesus. That's a wonderful solution. We look like idiots if everybody doesn't goose step. Right, if it's just one guy in the flash mob... And from the incontinent truth file, godless feces-related climate change may have caused the torrential rains and flooding that led to thousands of deaths in the Indian state of Uttarakhand last year. Sure, it might have. That's right. According to Uma Bharti, the Indian government's Minister for Water Resources, River Development, and Ganja Rejuvenation, which is suspect fun. already, is... According to her, this never would have happened if they hadn't let a bunch of atheist businessmen start taking shits near a sacred shrine in the area. So, what? <laughs> yeah, one way or another, Hindu god was really mad about something. 
clearly. Well, now, I, I will say, I'm an atheist, and I've seen what happens when I eat Indian food, so at least there's a plausible mechanism at work here. So it's not complete <laughs> bullshit. And finally, tonight, and I did a rod and I did a dog news, a defrocked Catholic priest was found guilty of raping multiple species in Canada this week. Belgian-born dog fucker Eric Dieger was convicted of 31 counts of sexual abuse against children and one count of fucking a sled dog. Having no doubt been exiled to Canada for child fucking in the first place, he made lemonade out of those lemons by fucking Eskimo kids and sled dogs, which in none of it is probably all the moving things with orifices. So I've got to say, I'm surprised it took us 83 episodes to end a segment on Eskimo fucking, but now that I can check that off my bucket list, we can close out headlines tonight. Heath, thanks as always. Did you see how ugly that caribou was? That's disgusting. <laughs> All right, Messiah Narvid. And when we come back, author Steve Wells will be here to talk about the inerrant word of God and all its errands. Very excited to welcome my next guest to the show. Steve Wells is an author and annotator of some note. His book, Drunk with Blood, details the many biblical bloodbaths inspired by the world's most famous serial smiter. His upcoming book, Strange Flesh, tackles the delicate question of what God thinks of the gays. And, of course, his Skeptics Annotated Bible is the official Bible of the Scathing Atheist and our Holy Babel segment. Steve, so happy to finally have you on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Noah. You know, I have to say, I have talked up the Skeptics, uh, the Skeptics Annotated Bible a number of times on the show before, but for those people who miss those episodes or tune out when my wife's not saying penis, please tell the listeners what, what exactly that is. The Skeptics Annotated Bible? Yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I started about uh, 25 years ago, um, and it, it, when I first read the Bible, I just started highlighting it. And before I got through Exodus, I, I was wondering why no one had ever presented a Bible from a non-believer's point of view. And so I decided I'd do that, and I've been at it ever since. I mean, you know, I'm going through it, kind of doing the same thing. And so I recognize better than most what a Herculean task this was. So I have to ask, what inspired you to do this in the first place? Well, actually, it was my sister. My my sister, um, my older sister was becoming a Jehovah's Witness at the time. Ooh. Yeah. And so I was trying to talk her out of it. And I thought that, you know, if I'm going to do that, uh, I really need to. I need. I need to know the Bible better. So I'm going to have to read the darn thing. Wow, that is some serious sibling dedication. Now, I, I, I almost hesitate to ask. Did she become a Jehovah's Witness? Did it work? <laughs> it didn't work. Oh. <laughs> she did, and she still is uh, very gung ho. Wow. Well, at least some good came out of it. Uh, certainly, an, an invaluable resource for people like myself who are, who are trying to get through the Bible. Um, now, I have to ask, was there a certain point, like a book or a, a verse or so, where you just started to rethink the whole thing and, and, and just decide, you know, thought about throwing in the towel? No, I really didn't. Once I, once I decided that I was going to do it, I stuck with it, although there, were some, there was a period of time where I let it go for a while. You know, mm-hmm. I worked my way through the Bible, highlighting the, 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 you know, what, I, what I found and was getting it all ready for publication. But I couldn't find a publisher, and and so I let it go for a while and, until the internet came up, and um, then I, I realized it would work there. So I put it up about ten years after I started it. So in '99, I put the, uh, I put the uh, what I had up on the web. Now, you know, when I started reading the Bible, it was because I wanted to know. You know, I know that the Christians cherry pick the best parts, the atheists cherry pick the worst parts, and I wanted to see for myself on balance: is it a good book or a bad one? Now, I haven't read the whole thing, so I'm going to ask you. What's your take? Does the good in the Bible outweigh the bad? Oh, no. No, not even close. 
there's there's only one book in the Bible that I would consider good, and 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 that's with some hesitation, and that's Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Proverbs might be kind of close to being good, but there's nothing. There there are no other books in the Bible that that where the good outweighs the bad. Now, of course, I can't really opine on the on the Bible as a whole because I haven't gotten to the New Testament, and all the liberal theologians they they like tell me no, no, the the New Testament is way better. So is is that true? I don't think so. In fact, I think the the New Testament in many ways is more disturbing than the old. Although it does have its good side. Jesus in in his better moods said some nice things. You know, the parable of the good Samaritan is a very nice story. Uh, but Jesus insisted on on uh, absolute and complete love and 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 that his followers should com- should reject their 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 own families. You know, in following him, they should hate their families, or it, and they and they should love, make sure that they love him more than they do their own families, and that it and that those who rejected him, he 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 cursed and 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 he condemned, and and so there was the, there was that negative side of Jesus, but still he did have he did have some nice things to say here and there, and and those are the ones that the apologists uh, like to point to. Right, right now. Okay, so we talked about the best book in, in the Bible, and I think that's, that's a pretty easy one. But the, the question of the worst book in the Bible, I think, is a bit trickier. Do you have any nominees for that one? Yeah, I would say Ezekiel or maybe Revelation, one of those two. And, that, that, and that's the other thing about the, the, uh, the New Testament. It ends very badly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it doesn't get much worse than than Revelation. The the, the blood that flows in in Revelation it, uh, out outdoes really really anything in the Bible, even, even including Genesis, where God kills everyone on earth. But in Revelation, the blood flows up to the up to the horses' bridles. You know, uh, right? Yeah, he he tortures everybody for quite a while in that. Oh one. yeah, tortures people. Yeah, it, so so yeah, the I think that Revelation would be. Um, a candidate for being the worst book in the Bible, but I think maybe Ezekiel might be might be worse than that. And there are there are a, a number of other competitors, close competitors, right. you know, in the Old Testament. Well, now you got me excited because Ezekiel is actually the next book that we're doing in the in the Holy Babel segment. So so give us a tease. What do we have to look forward to in that one? Well, Ezekiel it would probably be it has some of the most profane, uh, not um, obscene passages in the bible mm-hmm. you know it's, it's almost uh it's it's difficult you know even to talk about uh some of those passages you guys will have a lot of fun yeah i think we will <laughs> i think you're referring to i believe the the donkey ejaculation passages yes and it, yes yeah. yes and then and then god has two wives and what he does to them when they're unfaithful to him is just it's just hor- i it's 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 uh you know it it makes what was the guy that had the problem with the uh, domestic violence here in the in the NFL? Oh, Ray Rice. Or? Ray Rice. I mean, it makes Ray Rice look uh, look pretty good. <laughs> now, one would think you know you you finish you get through, all the way through this behemoth tome of Bronze Age bigotry, and rather than take the rest of your life off, which you had certainly earned at that point, you started tackling even more holy books, correct? Yeah, I did. Wow. Yeah, I've got the uh, the Book of Mormon. And the Quran, uh huh. Wow. And, I, and I, we're, we'd like to get to the Gita as well, but um, so far I have the uh, Book of Mormon and the and the Quran. Did annotating either of those books present any problem that you didn't encounter with the Bible? 
Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think that the the Book of Mormon is a it has is a set series of stories. And of course, the Bible is as well. But it's it's it, it's difficult to keep track of all of the characters and all of the goings on in the Book of Mormon. It's um, it, it's it's they're really crazy stories, and it's hard to keep track of the characters. Um, so that's kind of the problem. It's hard to take this, those silly stories seriously. You know, it's easy to go through and highlight the the crazy stuff. You know, the absolutely horrible and crazy stuff and that's what i did originally but now we're going through it again and trying to do a more thorough job trying to find Uh, like the contradictions and whatnot yeah 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 and also just just trying to tell the story so we're trying to actually tell the story rather than just highlight the 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 crazy things in the in the story like where god turns the uh lamanite skin dark uh and you know and that's where the indians came from but when you actually try try to take into into account and actually try to follow the stories in the in the Book of Mormon, they're they're difficult to keep straight and to and to and to to take seriously. And that's what we're trying to do now is to actually uh, summarize those stories as well. Okay. Well, looking forward to that one. How about the the Quran? Where are you guys at with that one? Well, the Quran is um, is difficult because it's it's so repetitive. There there are almost no stories, or they're they're very they're very tiny stories, and they're just kind of thrown in here and there. So, the, and with the Quran, the, the difficult part of it is to look at it in the in the way that a that a Muslim would look at it, which is taking into account the when the um, when each of the surahs were re, re, supposedly revealed to uh, Muhammad and what was going on at the time. So, there's a lot of context things to get there to to get into there. That um, are, are are a little bit difficult to to handle. All right. So now I should mention the the uh, Quran and Book of Mormon. Those aren't available in print yet, but you can check them out at skepticsannotatedbible.com, which you'll find linked in the show notes for this episode. Do, do you plan on publishing those in the future? We definitely plan on doing the Book of Mormon. Uh, the the Quran. We're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to think about. Gotcha. Um, you know that I I I do worry a little bit uh, about that. Um, you know, there's a lot more. I, I don't worry about uh, the the Mormon missionaries coming to the door, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, the worst thing that's going to yeah. happen there is it, they'll, they'll help me mow my lawn and take care of you know things. And, <laughs> but you know, I do worry about uh, if I if I were to publish the uh, Quran in book form, um, I I would worry about myself and my family. Yeah, well, that I think says an awful lot about the the community that we're working with then. Now, you've actually read all four, the, the New Testament, Old Testament, the Book of Mormon, the Quran. You've done that cover to cover. So I have a couple of quick questions here. I, wanna, I want you to help me compare the holy books, if you don't mind. Okay. All right. So of the four, which is the most boring? Oh, boy. I would say the uh, Book of Mormon. Okay. All right. That would have been my guess, because Mormons just tend to be pretty boring guys. Uh, now, which one would you say was the most immoral? <sighs> I think I would say the Quran, uh, okay. and, and and the only reason I would say that is because the Quran has no happy side. It has no the, the the amount of good material in the Quran is is very small. There there are some good things, but less so than in the Bible. All right, now I, and I I'm assuming that this one is the Old Testament, but I I might not know. Uh, which one would you say is the bloodiest, like the most violent? Yeah, I think I think the old the Old Testament. Well, the Bible actually, because if you consider the uh, Revelation, then you know the, well, that, that's that's pretty bloody too. But yeah, generally it would be the the Old Testament. Okay, and of course the most important question of the four of them: which is the true word of God? 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, that's the thing that is so amazing to me that anyone would think any of those books could possibly be the Word of God. It's hard to imagine that when people read it, and then people will, they like to tell you, well, you just need to read the Bible. If you read the Bible, then you'll feel the Spirit of, of, of Jesus. And, and I'm reading the Bible, I'll tell you what. I, I'm certainly not feeling anything uh, good as I do so. No. Except maybe during Song of Solomon, that one was kind of sexy. Yeah, 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 that, 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 I can see that. <laughs> and and by the way, that, that song of, Song of Solomon would be another one that I would consider. You know, I, I it, it you know it was a possibly good book. You know, mm-hmm. or or at the very least, maybe a neutral book. I don't know if there's a lot of like moral advice in it, but there's yeah. no genocide. So yeah, yeah. All right. So again, you can find Steve's work at skepticsanitatedbible.com, or you can check out his blog at dwindlinginunbelief.blogspot.com, both of which you'll find linked on the show notes. Uh, you also have a book coming out in October. Can you tell us, uh, give us a quick tease on that one as well? Yeah, that's called Strange Flesh, and it's um, it, the uh, subtitle is The Bible and uh, Homosexuality. And so it's uh, it, it's what what I try to do in Strange Flesh is to is to show how the Bible is used on both sides of the homosexuality debate by believers, uh, both um, the conservative believers and the liberal believers. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we're definitely looking forward to that one. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time to discuss it tonight, but fear not, dear audience, as Steve has already agreed to come back on in a couple of weeks and tell you all about it, so that's just yet another reason that you have to live. Steve, thanks again for your time. You bet. Thanks, Noah. time to time on this show, we like to set aside a couple of minutes to talk about some of the common apologetics used in defense of theism. Heath, what offense to right-wise thinking do you have for us today? Well, Noah, by popular request, we'll be talking about the Kalam cosmological argument. Awesome. That's the one that uh, William Lane Craig always uses, right? That is correct. Now, many Christian theologians actually consider this to be the best argument in favor of God ever presented. So, high in the running for worst argument for anything ever worldwide. <laughs> well, i got to admit, I, I've been looking forward to this one. As I understand it, this one trips up some pretty learned debaters. That it does. All right, that so uh, lay it on me. How is this one formally stated? All right, uh, premise A, all things that begin to exist have a cause. <laughs> see where they're going with this already premise b the universe began to exist conclusion god created the universe qed that that's that it. can't possibly be all there is to it. <laughs> that's it in all its glory the whole thing but that's just that's just normal stupid it's it, it's not <laughs> are you sure that's all it is it's the whole ball wax right there i just gave it to you look i said it was the best argument for god i mean Somebody's the best bullfighter in New England, but that doesn't make him a good bullfighter necessarily. I'm so disappointed. I, I thought we were about to dig into something that was going to really test our mental metal, but this is just horseshit. It's it's two faulty premises and a bullshit conclusion. A, a bullshit conclusion that doesn't even follow from the faulty premises. Yeah, so it is right. tricky stuff. Right. It's not even suggested by the premises. Wow, this is – I mean, isn't this just the first mover argument? Ah, common mistake. It does sound like it, but you missed a very key phrase there. See, the first mover argument, or the unkalam cosmological argument, leaves out the whole began to exist bit. See, if you leave that out, then God falls prey to the same infinite regress as everything else. But if you say began to exist, 
you can exclude God from the requirement altogether by just saying he always exists. No, you can't. I mean, you can't, you can't just change a word and spackle over a fatal flaw in your argument. We're not writing a contract. We're debating the nature of the universe. Uh, no, no, no. You're debating the nature of the universe. They're just asserting stuff. Totally different. Okay, but I mean, couldn't I just refute this one by pointing out that there are no observed things in nature that didn't begin to exist, so any assertion about the properties of such things would be meaningless conjecture? That would do it, yep, yep. Or couldn't I also point out that by even creating a category in their premise that would only exist if their conclusion is right, they've created a circular argument? <laughs> yeah, that, that would pretty much do the trick, too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Or what about pointing out that we have exactly no non-quantum observations of anything whatsoever being created out of nothing, and even those quantum observations seem to exist without cause in violation of their first principle? Yeah, yeah, sure, that, that refutes it too. Uh, you could also point out that if they somehow supported the two premises, you could still use Occam's razor to chop out God from the conclusion, or right. you could point out that the ability to imagine a world that exists in a certain way doesn't mean this world actually does exist in that way. Uh, or we could point out that... It, Ultimately, it's an argument from ignorance, or you right. could point out that we can't conclude that the universe began to exist in any meaningful use of the term, or you could point out that trying to extrapolate from the creation of a star or a stopwatch to the genesis of matter is stupid, uh, or you could point out that just using the, the word eternal doesn't stop infinite regress from being problematic. Right. So a lot of I, things you could say. I, I mean, this is just like Kurt Cameron-level stupid. That it is. So why does this argument have such a notorious reputation? Look, theists see people like William Lane Craig using this argument against PhDs, and they're not smart enough to realize that he's yet to convince a single member of the academic community, outside of maybe theology departments, this argument has any merit whatsoever. They see him saying smart words to, you know, Sean Carroll or Lawrence Krauss, and sure, they hear those guys saying smart words back, but as long as Craig shakes his head condescendingly like Dick, they don't know that the argument has been refuted by those guys. They have no well, idea. No, come on, come on. I, like, I think you're selling his audiences a little short. There are some very educated audiences that watch these debates. <laughs> well, look, you don't have to be stupid to get lost in Craig's glossolalia. In, in his last debate, he brought up Boltzmann brains no fewer than 20 times. Do you know, do you know what a Boltzmann brain is, by any chance? No clue. Yeah, it's a theoretical reductio ad absurdum to demonstrate the thermodynamic arrow of time and I still don't still, know what a Boltzmann that, brain is. Exactly. That's the whole point. Appealing to the number of Boltzmann brains in a theoretical universe is like actually running the Schrodinger's cat experiment. <laughs> but if nobody in the audience knows what's being asserted, how can anyone know if it's been refuted? So, Gotcha. So, all right, so, so we've already refuted the argument in nine different ways, but you're saying that's not enough. No, it's not. I, I want this guy washing dishes at the Sizzler, so... <laughs> All right, so if refutation isn't enough, how should we respond to the Kalam cosmological argument? Well, this is a debate technique of last resort. I very rarely recommend this, but, but when you encounter somebody armed with Kalam, this is pretty much your only recourse. So Okay, and that is? I call it the pissy kindergartner defense. Now, consider that every time a four-year-old keeps asking why until you get sick of answering, they've actually refuted the Kalam cosmological argument. Think about it. Holy shit, they have, by accident. <laughs> right. So to defeat this debate tactic, you just need to channel your inner pissy kindergartner. Let's, let's give it a try. It's, it's really easy. I'll okay. be the theist. You be the Catholic jailbait. <laughs> Got it. All right. Premise A, all things that begin to exist have a cause. Premise B, the universe began to exist. Conclusion, God created the universe. QED. Get it, kid? Why? Because 
something temporal would need an atemporal cause. Why? Because otherwise something would have to act as its own cause, which can't happen. Why not? Because I said so in my premise, remember? Why? Because William Lane Craig told me to put it in the premise. Why? Because Jesus loves me and I'm special, kid. Why? Damn it, just let me have my Jesus. I'm taking my cosmological argument and I'm going home. All right, excellent. Looks See? like we've thwarted yet another one. Thank you, Heath. My pleasure. It's time for the part of the show that comes next, listener feedback. This is the part of the show that we set aside each week so that Heath can overrun Our the first message comes from Elsie, who took exception to me, suggesting that Kelly McGillis wasn't attractive enough to play the female lead in Top Gun. The suggestion here, I guess, is that women shouldn't have to be attractive to be in movies, which I actually agree with wholeheartedly. Except yeah. when the role in question is the role of attractive woman, which it clearly was in this case. It's a 1986 action movie that was in the job description, I guarantee you. Yeah, exactly. Plus, all roles call for acting talent. And right. I must admit, it was sexist not to mention this last week, but she's a terrible actress. Just, she, just Even awful, compared to Tom abysmal. Cruise. Yes. Horrible actress, which adds to my certainty that she clearly blew somebody to get this job. And not that dudes don't blow other dudes or women. I mean, everybody's blowing everybody to get jobs in Hollywood. That's a, I'm just saying, McGillis clearly did also blow somebody in this particular case to get that job. No question about it. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree. I mean, look, Charlize Theron wasn't ugly enough to play her role in Monster either. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely sympathetic to the fact that there is no female Steve Buscemi because, you know, most roles don't call for a drop dead, gorgeous, big titty 26 year old. Uh, but when the part of the key function of the character is to have people be attracted to her, it's kind of important that they be attractive. In other words, it's it's not racist to hire the black guy to play the black guy. Right. Uh, the story also elicited a response from Rich on Twitter who wanted to point out that Top Gun was a movie about naval pilots, not Air Force pilots. And i got to say, I'm kind of proud of myself for not catching that one. Sadly, I must admit I was pedantic enough to notice this, but I actually decided against a disclaimer in the reference last week after – some consideration about clunky wording, whatever. I still am very proud of Rich, either way, for pointing this out. Well done. Now, we also got a book review we wanted to respond to. Uh, not usually something we do, but this one was hilarious. CBK read the blurb about the book of diatribes, and based only on that, he felt qualified to write a review. So uh, on the cover of the book, it says, among other things, are you ever tempted to stand up and scream, the Bible also says rabbits chew their cud. That's not an allegory, and I'm not reading out of context, you frothing nincompoops. It's just wrong. Right. So, so he leaves two paragraphs of mumbled apologetic drivel about how the Hebrew phrase for chew the cud means raising up that which has been swallowed, which is, you know, okay, sure. And, of course, rabbits don't do that either, but if you squint a little and you look at it in the right way, the fact that they occasionally eat their own shit kind of sort of means the same thing, and then he puts in some Latin words to make himself sound smart. Oh, oh that's, that's what the, the Latin words were for. I, yeah, I right. Look, if it takes two paragraphs of obscure Latin phrases and over-the-shoulder ass-scratching to fit the square peg of this one biblical sentence into the round hole of reality, you're kind of demonstrating my point. But if rabbits do indeed eat their own shit, I still think there might be a couple of flaws left in the Bible. That right. Yeah, maybe exactly. point out that not the perfect word of... And finally, tonight we got a number of Facebook messages, tweets, emails, etc. about a phenomenal bit of guerrilla artwork in Vancouver. Now, I'll, I'll post a link to this story on the show notes because if you haven't seen the statue, you've got to see the statue. But basically, 
there's a spot at a Vancouver bus station that's waiting a statue, and so some helpful artists helped fill up this empty space <laughs> with a statue of Satan with a giant exposed erection. <laughs> Actually thought it would be better if they didn't expose the erection, honestly. Just like Satan with a boner in sweatpants. <laughs> oh, awkward. That even more tasteless? I don't know. No, from what I hear of Vancouver, though, there's probably a numeric police code for profane Satan's statue left at a bus station. <laughs> this might not have been the first time. <laughs> now, obviously, this is normally something we cover in the headlines, but by request, we're dedicating our top ten to it this week. So, Excellent. Top 10 placard captions for the erect Satan statue. Go. Oh, nice. I like it. Okay. Um, how about a map that says you are here between the devil and the deep blue vein? <laughs> Number nine. Don't worry, baby. I always use a tri-dental dam over my snitch fork. <laughs> I'm safe. Number eight. Whole or soul? All bargain for either. <laughs> Number seven. Going down? <laughs> To Georgia? <laughs> Looking for a bold appeal? No, no. Nice. Uh, number six, the devil you blow is better than the devil you don't. Which is probably true if there are devils. <laughs> number five, they call me Prince of Darkness from the waist down. Can your sheath handle my sword of the flies? <laughs> or number four, a public service announcement. Be safe. Always cover your ear during bouts of psychomachia. <laughs> If anybody knows what psychomachia is. Right, like the two people who... The love number four. (laughs) Awesome. Number three. Canuck on this. And don't forget to cup the beals of bubbles, bitches. Number two. Mephistopheles nuts. (laughs) And number one. This is lasting way more than four hours. Please contact my physician (laughs) right away. I'm told. Or or at least Miley Cyrus, if anything can get rid of an erection. (laughs) And that's all the feedback you get. If you want more, keep sending us those emails, tweets, and Facebook messages. You'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scalingatheist.com. Before we cash the bong tonight, I wanted to thank everybody who's reviewed our book, Diatribes, Volume 1, 50 Essays from a Godless Misanthrope on Amazon. Even the dude we talked about in the feedback segment, because two stars or not, it was fucking hilarious. Anyway, the reviews really help. We really appreciate them. By all means, keep them coming. Now, that's all the blasphemy we've got for you tonight, but if you want more, there's more. Heath and I will be on an upcoming episode of Incredulous with Andy Wilson from the Merseyside Skeptics. Honestly, he puts together one of the best podcasts in the business. I strongly urge you to check it out. And since he only comes out with a new episode on average of once every two and a half months or so, it'll be easy to catch up on the archives. Also need to thank Steve Wells one more time for hanging out tonight. The guy's a blast to talk to, and he's really doing yeoman's work in the secular community. If you're planning on reading the Bible or even just need a Bible for reference now and again, there are plenty of reasons why you should pick up the Skeptics Annotated Bible, not the least of which is that it's one of the few ways that you can buy a Bible knowing that you're not giving any money to a religious organization. Of course, can't close it out without thanking Heath for all the general shit he does for which he deserves thanks. I need to thank Thomas from Atheistically Speaking for keeping my fantasy team off the floor this week by having the only team that sucked more than mine over the first two weeks of the season. I also need to thank my lovely wife, Lucinda, for not having me committed when I told her I wanted a podcast for a living, among other things. And of course, I need to thank Chris Watson for this week's Farnsworth quote. He puts out a great blog about all the big atheist happenings in the headlines. It's called Unbuckling the Bible Belt, and of course, you'll find a link to that on the show notes for this episode. But most of all, I need to thank this week's most commendable comrades, Trevor, Danielle, Jer, Jezebel, Adam, and Stephen. Trevor and Danielle, who are so sexy, sometimes cameras take pictures of them of their own accord. Jer and Jezebel, whose brilliance is so renowned that brains in jars wonder 
if they're actually them, and Adam and Stephen, who could use the Large Hadron Collider as a glory hole, but only if you dug it up and turned it on its side. Together, these half-dozen wholehearted heathens have helped us have at the half-witted, hapless adherence this week by giving us money. Putting together this show each week is a lot more than a full-time job, and without the generosity of our incredible audience, we'd have had to throw in the towel a long time ago. But fortunately, there are awesome people like Trevor, Danielle, Jer, Jezebel, Adam, and Stephen who humble us with their gratitude every week. So with an atypical sincerity, thank you very much. If you'd like to help keep the engine running around here, you can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash scathingatheist. You can make a one-time donation by clicking on the Donate button on the right side of our homepage, or you can pick up a copy of our book, all of which you'll find links for on the website. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scathingatheist.com. All the music used in this episode was written and performed by yours truly, and yes, I did have my permission. Nothing says Ireland like inhuman treatment of women seeking abortions. Abortions? Abortions.